Hello everyone and welcome to Blogging Theology. Today I am delighted to talk to Lauren Booth. You're most welcome, Lauren. Salam alaikum. Wa alaikum salam, rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Great to see you. Welcome, welcome. Um, for those who don't know, uh, Lauren worked in the mainstream media for 20 years, learning how to script and host shows both for TV and radio. She now creates books, plays, videos to tell alternative narratives from the Muslim perspective. She also trained as an actor working in theatres in three European countries. The daughter of a Jewish model and troubled TV star, Lauren Booth survived a house fire, lived through the excesses of the 90s as an aspiring actress, welcomed Tony Blair into her family, put her life as a parent at risk to report on Palestine, found faith in a mosque in Iran, and then as a new Muslim, sobered up, started praying and became a haji. Now you have said, and I quote, when the gift of Islam was given to me, two sides of my world combined and I finally became able to share what I learned in a more positive way, unquote. And you've just published your um, autobiography. There's the copy of it there. Um, entitled, uh, In Search of a Holy Land, um, An Adventure Story to Faith. And I'll link uh, to it in the description below so you can get your own copy. So my first question really to you, Lauren, is can you tell us something about your extraordinary life before Islam? Um, so, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. We begin in the name of Allah. Jazakum la khair. I'm here to, I'm, I'm, I'm in a bit of a disruptive mood today. I don't know why, mm. Paul. You'll have to forgive me. Oh dear. Because I know, I know. And Paul is much funnier mm. than you think, by the way. He's been making me laugh all the time. Than you think. <laughs> because you always, because we see mean? such serious content from you and of it's course, beautiful and amazing. But actually, yeah, he's, he's got a bit of a, a twinkle going there. Secret, Shh, don't secret. say that. Don't, don't tell anyone. But so I just want to correct two things. One, yep. um, it says Jewish model. I was never happy with that being put out there because my mother wasn't raised Jewish. And uh, it's only her father was Jewish, not her mother. So there is no right to, to call that. So I, I tried okay. to remove that, but that's a, that's a kind of publishing mistake. <clears throat> and the second thing <clears throat> is, this is a re-edition. Uh-huh. Okay, so we sold out of the first print run and uh, Ekin approached me, they're a Turkish publisher and they do great books and it's such a beautiful edition. There's been a changes in the beginning and changes in the epilogue. So if you've already read my first memoir, this is a continuation. If you like, it's the same one, but it's a, so I just don't want you to buy it twice. No, fair enough. So the question was, can you tell us something about yeah. your extraordinary life before Islam? Because you, you have a very colourful life, I must say, by any standards, I think. Yeah, bismillah. <laughs> so I'll tell you what, I've been reflecting on this. Mm. Um, a, lot of, a lot of psychologists want to encapsulate and entrap us into the idea that anything outside the parameters of normal, and I do that horrible thing there mm. about normal because... I don't believe there is a bog standard normality for any existence or any family. There certainly isn't a a one normal paradigm for reaching the beginning of life and to the end. But if you have what we call a troubled childhood, then you fit into the traumatized category. And you're supposed to take that through your life and never quite recover and always be dealing with your trauma. And and I hate it. Mm. And I hate it because... It doesn't allow development, joy, or, 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 or actually revisiting the past with any hope. So in answer to your question, a lot of random things happened when I was a child. 
My parents were a model and an actor in the 1970s. You're way too young to remember that. Of course. Um, But where we lived in Hampstead, they were all kind of like, they'd gone out in 1967 and never made it home from the party. Mm, mm, mm. And I don't think any of them should have been parents, Mm. to be quite honest. In this, you know, handily there they Mm. were, right? The, the the amount of drugs and alcohol and the cre- and it was all called creativity and everybody's oh, like hey, very wow. bohemian very bohemian hundred percent hundred fashionable we never knew what bedtime was we never knew what the next oh. day was going to look like so you're growing up in a really anarchic situation yeah. but I'll tell you what the most creative uh, performers artists and and um, people of great empathy come through what we'd call broken childhoods. Mm-hmm. Now, I've, I've given this a lot of thought since being here the last couple of weeks because London is where I grew up. It's where stuff happened. It's where, where I know it's my, it's my inner culture. It's my inner map is, 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 is rooted to, to, uh, to North London particularly. And I just thought, you know what? These creative human beings are often given Islam. I mm. meet so many women who become Muslim, and they will say, when you get to know them, alcoholic parents, narcotics, mm. this, something, real big things. And Allah Ta'ala in his mercy says, your heart is soft, come. Mm-hmm. Come and be looked after, it's time. I was speaking to a sister the other day, actually, and she said a lot of women attracted to Islam in Britain and America because uh, they discover you know, the Muslim family, where you, you have mm. you know this warm... Uh, stable environment where you know perhaps more traditional role models and so on, and they're attracted to that, oh, particularly if they're coming from a, a more broken background where, say, you know, uh, there's alcoholism, as you say, and, and sort of chaos, and so there's an attraction to that stability and, and that community. Um, is that something that I think that's a brilliant observation, hundred mm. percent. Mm. But I would add to that that every human being actually craves stability. Of course. And you can only jump off and do amazing things if you have somewhere to come back to. Mm. And whether that place is a stable heart, an understanding of the who and the how of creation, reality of human behaviors and endeavor, Mm. you can't then go somewhere. And it's the same with a family life. Everybody does crave Mm. a household that's quiet and peaceful and Mm. you know what's going to be happening day to day. Because believe me, if you're living in anarchy all the time, it's really tiring. Mm-hmm. So uh, did you have a, a religious upbringing or a private mm. spiritual upbringing or was there uh, nothing at all? You um, know what? We were so spiritual. Right. Spiritual in that random way, but I'm mm. very grateful for it. So my mom was a superstitious Christian. Mm. She absolutely believed that as a child she'd seen Jesus in a dream. And she absolutely believed in one God, but she would never dream of setting foot into a stuffy church. Mm, you know, mm. she used to, you know, know the Beatles and, you know, it was much, much too, that's for the old people kind of thing. So she used to go to like flea markets and get these incredible crosses with ornaments on them and hang them round the bed to ward off evil spirits. Gosh, gosh. And my father was a lapsed Catholic. He'd gone to the full Scouser, Catholic school, nuns, all of that upbringing. And he couldn't stand the Pope. He couldn't stand Rome. Why? Because he cared for the poor. And he said, if they gave 0.5% of the wealth of Rome, there'd be no poverty in Mm, this world. mm. How can there be starving Christians in Africa? How can there be dissolute Mm. people with nowhere to go, going to the Samaritans instead of the Catholic church in Mm. Liverpool? He, He hated that greed. 
But they, but my dad, well, may, you know, may Allah bless him, he really spent a lot of time telling me one message, that this reality is not it, Paul. Oh. That this table, chair, us sitting here, the bank, London, mm. is only one little vision put here for us to experience. And that beyond that, that's where you want to get to. Really? Yes. That's, that's quite Islamic, isn't it? It is. Mm. It really mm. is. Mm. That this is just a small thing and mm. God knows and you've got to get over Gosh. this. And, you know, in the, in the, I think in the 1970s, there was mm. me sitting on the, uh, on, the, on the carpet with my dad and we'd, he'd do, we'd do mind reading games. Mm. And we'd play, you know, he'd say, right, what card am I holding? It's red. Yes, yes. Five of hearts. Right. And sometimes we get eight in a row. Because 100%, he was sending me the image and I was reading it. Amazing. There's no doubt in my mind about, about these, these beautiful things that are beyond our understanding. And so that really helped me. But as a child, did you have any sense of God yourself? Or did you pray? Uh, or, or were you indifferent to these things? No, you know what? My, so my <clears> mum, before she died, she called me one day. She said, the family keep asking me why you've become an extremist in religion. <laughs> Mm. Right, leading question. Mm. Uh, what did you say, Mum? She said, I told them you were always a weird kid. Mm. And by weird, she meant I was always praying. Oh. I would, I, I literally, some of my earliest memories are sitting in my room going... So who were you praying to? God. God oh, right, okay. God. So you went not to Jesus or Mary or, ah, or something I else. think I'd been taught by my grandmother and by our traditions... Mm. Uh, because you absorb it. You know, you have these, we used to have uh, hymns and things at school, right? Mm, so you absorb that you say, in Jesus' name, dear God, yes, this. Yes, yes. But you understand that it's God you're talking to. Right. So I wasn't speaking to Jesus, I was speaking to God right. through Jesus. You know, it's yeah, a bit yeah, confusing, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But, um, and it made perfect sense to me. My parents were in anarchy, God, but God was in control, and I'd lie there four, five, six, seven. And I'd have this wonderful time putting my mind through the universe, you know, without smartphones, without TVs, with nothing. Mm. I had a cracked sink in my room and a little bar fire that I wasn't allowed to have on and broken window panes. We were really broke, you know, and I was cold. And I'd just be, be spiritually in, out in the universe looking for God. Right, right. Imagine. So it's your fitra, perhaps, as we would say now. Mm. Uh, there's the sense of the innate sense of the divine coming through there. Natural understanding. Natural understanding. Yeah. And it's interesting, at the, at the beginning of the prologue to uh, your new book, you quote a verse from the Quran, mm. uh, which says, but they planned and Allah planned, and Allah is the best of planners. That's Quran 8.30. Why did you select this particular verse to head up your book, do you think? You know what, so, so, some people, I, I, you know, going back to this, this idea of childhood, I, I don't want to give the idea that you should have a messed up childhood in order to be creative, right? Mm. It just means that there is an order to society by disorder. So what does that mean? The children of people who are two, 2.4 kids, accountant and nurse, they come mm. home every day and everything, yeah. they are going to be the organisers. They're going to understand stra uh, strategy and targets and business and spreadsheets and mm. right with stuff that I, I can't get my head around and we, and we need them. They're going to be organised. Um, where was I going with this? Well, I was asking about the the uh, the verse uh, that you begin oh, the prologue to your book. I, right. I, yeah. So so because I because I didn't have an ordered childhood by the grace of Allah, which I'm hugely grateful for. Thank you, Allah. Um, everything has always been just what's going to happen next. Right. Yeah. 
my friends have always called me by the grace of Allah, miss on the upside. So everything could be falling down and go, but on the upside, it's a sunny day today and I've had a croissant. <laughs> you know, like, how could you say that? Yeah. So I never felt able to put order through, through the chaos, perhaps, of my life. Mm. And that opened me up to the fact that who was putting in order? How was I well the next day? How did these incredible things come into my path? Who was putting them there? Because I mm. knew it wasn't me. It's not me, right? Mm, mm. And that really opens you up to a great planner. Mm. And so when I read that verse, I'm like, oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> no, fair enough. Thank God. No, it's a very appropriate verse. I can see that. Just moving on, um, you are uh, famously passionate about the plight of the Palestinians. Now, how did that come about? Here you have an English actress, journalist, and passionately concerned about mm. your life here in London when you were living here. And, and, but now you're very much identified with your, with your support for uh, the Middle East and the, the Palestinians. So how did that come about? You know, the first thing to engage with on the, on the topic of Palestine is that you have to have no fear of repercussions in order to engage with this. Mm. Because there is such a silencing, yes. such a, a removal of the right to discuss this topic, yes. such an antipathy towards words like true words like, um, you know, uh, occupation and apartheid, which are absolutely apt. But if you say them, you can be cancelled. Yes. So number one was, I come from a, I come from a country, I come from, I come from a family who don't care about being cancelled. Right. That we will speak truth right. to power. Right. That's the number one thing. Right. So when I, for, uh, I mean, really, I came to the question of Palestine as a journalist who wanted to know the truth of what I was seeing clips of on television in the early 2000s, kids throwing stones at tanks, but the tanks were the good guys and the kids were, um, you know, terrorists who really deserved to be shot. Mm, that mm, didn't, didn't, that came sense. off the back of Tiananmen Square. Now in Tiananmen oh, Square, yes. I'm a very simple thinker. I didn't go to university. So I just look at human stories and, and put the puzzle together like that, mm, right? Mm. Um, Tiananmen Square, tanks against people, young people with in, bicycles in China. In China. Yeah. 1995, was it? Really? Something, Gosh, something like, like that. that. I yeah, can't yeah, get the year yeah, right, yeah. so yeah. we'll put it in the comments there's, there's an uprising, wasn't it? A popular uprising popular against uprising. the regime. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they faced the tanks, and the tanks rolled over them, and your heart broke. Yeah. And the media were really strong and powerfully in favour of that challenge, and quite rightly disgusted mm. at the at the, the awfulness of tanks and civilians. And yet in Palestine, every day, tanks versus civilians, and it's called a clash. Mm. How is it a clash? 15-year-old yes, boy with a stone. There's some kind of um, you know, equivalence between the two. You have right. this and that. But actually, it's asymmetrical, isn't it? The, the power. It's asymmetrical mm. warfare, except it's not, it's not even warfare. It's just massacre after massacre. So I started as a journalist to, to see this mismatch, Mm. and wonder why I was being sold it day after day. Right. And it kicked off a curiosity to go to Palestine. And again, uh, we plan on Allah plans, and Allah is the best of planners, because I shouldn't have been sent by the mail on Sunday, by any, the, the, any rational exactly, means. Exactly, because the mail right. on Sunday is a very, a very uh, traditionalist, conservative, popularist uh, newspaper. And here are you going 
you know, to report on Palestine. I, w- I went, I went <clears> to <throat> to the editor, Peter Wright, at the time, and I said, right, Peter, I really want to go to Palestine. Now, he should have <laughs> said, you know what, you write about living in France, you write a little bit about yeah. uh, political gossip, and you write some interesting social articles. Do you speak Arabic? No. Do you know any Arabs? No. <laughs> have you ever been to the Middle East? No. I don't, th- I think we'll pass. Yeah, However, yeah, yeah, yeah. the opening in 2005... Had Tony left? Was Tony Prime Minister then? I think Tony, so t- Tony was Prime Minister. Tony Blair, of course, Tony is, is Blair was Prime Minister. who you're related to by yeah. marriage. Yeah. So he was my brother-in-law, and the Mail on Sunday hate him more than. Oh, really? I can't. I can't think of an equivalence, but they that they really, uh, yeah, do not like Tony uh, or or my sister, Cherie. And so they were like, hmm, this could be a little bit mischievous. Let's uh, let's send her, maybe she'll get shot and that would be fun. You know, they don't really care. It was just like, whatever the story turns out to be, it'll be fun. Mm. So I turned up this, so as a really a rookie reporter and I didn't know how to get from Tel Aviv airport to Palestine. That's how little research I'd done. I was just interested in the human story. Yeah. And that was the best thing I could have done, Paul. Right. Right. Why? Because when you go to Palestine as a mainstream reporter... You land at Tel Aviv, you go to a posh uh, Jerusalem, preferably not in the Palestine side, uh, you know, the occupied Jerusalem, capital of Palestine. Right, you go somewhere else, you stay in a Jewish area. Then you go to Ramallah quickly and you stay in a hotel and you don't leave the hotel. That's the modus operandi for most journalists. And then you make a few calls and people through a Jewish fixer and the people come to you. So you don't meet the people, you don't eat with the people, you don't see the people and you don't go off grid. Mm, mm, mm. I didn't know any of this. So there's me just going around going, hi, hi, (laughs) salam. And uh, I got into cars and I went to refugee camps and I traveled on my own. And it just changed the world for me. SubhanAllah, why? Because I saw the people's patience and bravery and I felt their spirituality was carrying them through because wallahi nothing in dunya can because mm, mm. mm. uh, most are Muslims but not all of them there are Christian Palestinians Absolutely. of course who are treated just the same yeah. there's no yeah that's true well although, although that, mm. that said you know at checkpoints there was a time until recently when there was divide and conquer oh you're, you're, you've got a Christian name Right, you're you're a Christian, a Palestinian, right. slightly above the Muslims. Right, but but I think that that even that has passed. Right, so that that t- at that point you were not a Muslim, obviously, but you were meeting Muslims for mm. the first time. You you, mm. you were saying salam to them, and you were yeah. you, you appreciated. But the, I want to be clear. The, the, I was in 2005 a practicing Christian. Right, I had come back ah. to faith. Why? Because I'd given birth. I'd had two daughters, and I didn't want them to be. Um, materialistic. Right. We had so much at that time of dunya, of this life. We had a house in France, right. south of France, in the Dordogne, no less, with a swimming pool, huge garden. My kids knew the difference between Brie and Camembert at the age of three. Of course. Who were we? Uh, <laughs> horse riding, so, so, so that point, piano playing. Yeah. It was very different from my at childhood. At that point, though, you, you were a celebrity. You were, on, uh, you, you, were, you were a very high profile in yeah. the British media. You mm. were on that program. I'm a celebrity. I'm get a celebrity me out of here. I'm a celebrity. 2006. <laughs> yeah, it's madness. Um, so, uh, you know, you've gone from, you said you were quite poor, you said, we were growing broke, up. Yeah. Now you're in the big time with lots mm. and lots of money. But even then, you having had children, you thought you've got to have values. They've got to have a spirituality yeah. to give them a focus beyond just this dunya. I, I really it. wanted to to be a part of creating good human <clears throat> beings who <clears throat> are going to help others, not just you know lumps of flesh who are going to take 
from from this world and and not know God. So we used to mm. go to this uh, really traditional Anglican church in oh. Lemoy, San Lemoy, L I M E U I L, uh, Haute Lemoy, right on a hill. And it was very much for the expat British community, so it's very nice. It was in it was, France, was it? Yeah, yeah it was right. like the 1970s. I'm right, not joking. Right, right. It was from... <laughs> you know, it was like a Rowan Atkinson sketch. God <laughs> bless them, they were very nice people. Mm. But did we take much spirituality from it? No, but at least <laughs> we got to pray in a church and say, right. dear God, right. you know. Okay. But I found that I was mumbling the... Is it the catechism? What, what is it you say? It's the, it's the um, we believe in the communion oh, the, of the, saints. Uh, the, well, the, the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. creed. The, the creed. Nicene Creed, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was starting to find that uh, as I met Muslims that I would do this, I believe in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, and then they say, Son of God, and I go, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and the union of saints, blah, 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 and in God Almighty, and then, uh, you know, uh, Father of Jesus, blah, 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 So it was basically blah, 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 blah in God. It was, it was absolutely That's nonsense. Funny. So I, so I, how, how do you go from being a practicing uh, Christian who does yeah. blah, 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 a lot <laughs> yeah. um, to, to uh, embracing Islam? Well, what was, the, what was the story there? So, you know, there, is a, there are as many paths to God as there are human beings because he created and made us. So there are some people who are academics that I've met women and men and they will read for 10 years and then Mm, mm. find the one irrefutable piece of evidence that they're like oh I can't right okay that's why I'm coming and there are um, you know somebody like me I'm a people person I trained as an actor I want to see in people's eyes what are you about it's all about feelings and vibes and uh, I know I'm such a hippie right and good behavior Mm. is the number one thing Good behavior, respect for others, kindness, and love for God. And, and then the practice, like you say, I was seeing Muslims in the Holy Land who were showing me Christian sites. I remember going to Church of the Holy Sepulchre in 2009. And uh, it's, a, it's a Muslim family who have the giant key mm-hmm. to the most, one of the most holy churches in Christendom. It's because they're squabbling amongst the church denominations, right. isn't it? The only one people they can trust is a Muslim. Yeah. <laughs> they but can't the Muslim agree had it originally because they had it since the time of oh, Umar, right. Ah, right? They've right, had right. it for 1,400 years and they don't want to take it off a trusted family to right. give it to who? Yeah. Some right. next person who they don't really know. Yeah. So I remember, you know, I was meeting Muslims and saying in the Holy Land, because I went to Lebanon as well, did you kill Muslims? Did you kill Christians to get the key? And they're like, you really don't know much about this region, do you? <laughs> You call yourself a Christian. The Christians mm-hmm. here wouldn't mm-hmm. ask that question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, oh, I remember a very embarrassing incident. I was in Lebanon. I was in a garden where Jesus, peace be upon him, had given one of his great speeches to the apostles, to thousands of people, I think, on a hillside. And um, he said, oh, he was saying some Arabic names for the apostles. And I'm like, oh, is that what you call them in Arabic? He's like, no, that's their names <laughs> that you've anglicised. Yeah, yeah. And I can feel myself going red now because I'm uh, like, uh, oh, uh, uh, uh. they weren't English guys who happened to live in the Middle yeah. East. Because Jesus' name was not Jesus in right. Aramaic. Isa alayhi salam. And who did Isa alayhi salam, uh, who was he praying to? Allah. Exactly. The Christians, the Chris Coptic Christians say yeah. Allah. It's and funny, they say Allahu Akbar. People can actually do this. If you Google the Ar- Aramaic dictionary yeah. and put in the word God and see what it is, 
And there you go. Yeah. So yeah, it's not uh, God. It's 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 very similar to the Muslim word Allah. It's either Illa or Allah. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Extraordinary. So that yeah. was amazing um, meeting these people, but I just. It was the behavior, it was the generosity, it was mm. the kindness of the people. And every time I said, why are you, why are you being so kind to me? They drive a hundred miles to pick you up. They'd give you something off their wall. Even if they, it was the only thing they had, the grandmother had given it to you. Here, you have mm. it so mm. easily, mm. right? Mm. And I'm an English person. We're, we're nice. We've got very good manners, but mm. I wouldn't say we give easily. No. It's like, I like your watch. God. <laughs> Could you take off your watch and give it to someone you just met? Honestly, mm-hmm. if someone said, I like, I like that thing, you'd be like, you'd be torn. Even, you know, we struggle with this, I think, yeah, as yeah. English Muslims, even as converts, because we have to learn that yeah. generosity no, as we go along. It's very true. But they were just, don't worry, Allah will replace it. Mm-hmm. Allah's put you here. The blessing for me is in the giving. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, who? I honestly thought the Palestinians came from a different planet. Gosh, mm-hmm planet of goodness they were not like human beings i'd ever met before mm. and they all said and when i said why are you like this they said because of that book the quran tells us i thought this has got to be a mm. great read mm. so what what year was it that you embraced islam 2010 2010 gosh yeah Amazing. 14 years made it over the hump <laughs> and you how long have you been muslim Oh, um, not as um, a bit, a bit longer. I think about eleven, twelve years. Really? Yeah, okay, yeah, so now I'm fourteen yeah, years. Yeah. You're twelve years. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. So the next question, inevitably, and I get I get asked this question: Is what advice would you give uh, to a non-Muslim who might be considering embracing Islam? Because you've mm-hmm. you've done it, yeah, you know, uh, and you you know the path. Yeah. So, do you, well, what little bits of wisdom or advice would you give people? Do you think? Bismillah. Well, the number one thing is your your ego your nafs and shaitan, right? So these, these voices who don't want you to have goodness mm. are going to be telling you, not yet, don't do it and you can't. You're mm. going to hear that a lot, right? Not yet, it's, you learn more. When you become expert, mm. don't do it, you're going to lose your friends, you're going to lose your family, it's going to be really difficult. And you can't, you know, the other whispering you're going to hear is, you're not a good enough person. Mm. to you don't you know when we believe in god we've done we we are then aware of our badness Mm. our mistakes and our our horrible characteristics and we feel shame which is Mm. a good step Mm. unless we let it stop us you know asking for forgiveness and come close and have all those beautiful openings of love Mm. so i would say if you have any surety there is one god Who's Allah, the Lord of all, same God of all creation. And if you understand that all the prophets are true, up to and including Prophet Muhammad, you're already Muslim. Mm, mm. So, so don't dilly-dally. I, I, I kind of came and went for a couple of years until, and I knew, I had certainty in my heart. And uh, Sheikh said to me, you know, what if you die tomorrow? Mm, mm. And you haven't done the good deeds or experienced what it actually is to be a believer that would be horrible and I thought yeah you're right I, I, we can't make ourselves breathe I can't tell you we're going to be here tomorrow it's only by Allah's grace so if you have those two certainties take your shahada and you will learn and become mm. we are learning and becoming we're, mm. we're, we're all a work in progress yeah. oh, that's beautifully put beautifully put mm. Um, lastly, um, in conclusion, Maria, um, I've noticed in your book, this is the book which you can uh, get now, it's just been published, 
Um, the, each of the chapters is head, headed by some some very oh, interesting God. sort of quotes, mm. which I like. And if I may, just now, if I uh, quote some of the chapter headings and you give me a, just a quick response rather than a very okay. long one, because um, I'll just go through, not all of them, but many of them. So in chapter four, heading is, life is a lot like jazz. It's best when you improvise. It's a quote from George Gershwin. Why do you say that? Why is that a good quote? It's, it's a noisy symphony that only makes sense if you, mm. under, if you, if you have an understanding of music. Right. It's a noisy symphony, but it's beautiful. <laughs> okay. Uh, chapter four heading, uh, so another chapter rather. Making mistakes is how you learn. That's a quote from Tony Benn, a British MP. Boy. Making mistakes is how you learn. Why, why is so that So the Holy Quran says that it tells us that this life is a test and right. each test improves us. Okay. Uh, another quote, I love this, from Muhammad Ali. Presumably this is the boxer yeah. in chapter 21. Service to others oh. is the rent you pay for your room here on earth. So ev- everything that we have, our health, our time, our well-being, uh, being alive, is is temporary and we should be using it for the good of others. Brilliant. And then you've got a couple of uh, hadith, amazing hadith. Be detached from this world and then God will love you mm. and do not be att- attracted to what people have and then the people will love you. My God. I mean, just... Oh, can we not explore that a tiny bit? Please. Listen, I'm going to attach that to another hadith of the Prophet, peace be upon him, where he taught that when you go into a house, you go into the dwelling's doorway, don't look around and go, oh, right, yeah, look at this, right? <laughs> because you're either attaching I want or poor you oh, to those person's belongings. Interesting, interesting. So um, with, that, with that particular quote about don't want what people want and they will love you. Imagine if you walk into a palace and, and you don't mention how nice it is because it doesn't matter to your heart right. because it's the interaction with that person. Right. And then imagine if you go in to something that other people would call a slum and you don't make them feel bad by going, oh, that's a shame. Oh, do I have to sit here? No, if you're no. just intent, how are you? How's it going? What's going on? Oh, these are nice kids. You know, right, right, that right, humanity, right. that mm, connection mm, that isn't yeah. to things. Beautiful, I love that. Beautiful. Uh, another one, uh, another hadith. Whatever has befallen you was not meant yeah. to escape you. And whatever has escaped you was not meant to befall you. Oh, that's an amazing uh, quote. Just Chapter 13, heading. Every... To, right, this is me saying it. I'm, I'm not a trained psychologist. Do not take this home. Do not do this, <laughs> try this at home. Um, if we take the word if out of our language, and, and we will be well. So that hadith, mm. right, is saying, don't look at the past and say, if only that had happened, because you weren't in control of it anyway. And if, um, if only that would happen, you're not in control of that either. Mm, mm. Let go of the results completely mm. and find satisfaction. Allahu Akbar. Mm. Because nothing that was meant for you um, can be missed. You will always get what you were meant to have. And if you weren't meant to marry that person, get that job, be in that house. It wasn't written, let it go. You know, that whole Gosh. thing about, they call it being Zen. You know, the Buddhists have, have got great um, marketeers, right? They're really good at marketing, mashallah, right? Very Zen. Well, we have in Islam a great contentment and calm. Amazing. Okay. And the last one is actually a quote from the Quran. Um, when I first read this, it's an extraordinary uh, verse. Verily, humans were created impatient, irritable when evil touches him, and ungenerous when good touches him. 
except for those devoted to prayer who remain constant in their prayers. That's Quran 70, verses 19 to 23. What does that say to you, Paul? Um, well, I, I find it very embarrassing because it describes me, you know, uh, in, unless one is praying, unless one is centred on God, then one can be impatient and irritable. It, it's, and when, when evil, particularly when evil touches one, and, and ungenerous when good, because you want to kind of keep it and not, mm. not share it and lose it. Mm. Um, but of course, it's in sharing it that we mm. keep it because, you know, if, if God wants us to have it, we will have it. So, um, but what's it say to you? Everything is going to make us irritable if we're not connected to Allah to Allah. And the first step, literally, there was nothing more powerful in this life than subdued, than putting your head to the ground in prayer all those times per day. You, it's like you're saying sorry and thank you to the creator of the mm. universe 17 more, more times a day. And it really does. I'm a very impatient person. I'm someone who... If something doesn't work once, I'm like, oh, smash it, right. And it, I know what the antidote to that is. And I know I can go to that place only by asking Allah and his grace. And it's beautiful and it beautifies life. Yeah. Oh, well, that's a beautiful note perhaps to end on. And um, as, as we've been discussing, is your new book, In Search of a Holy Land, just published. And you can get it. Uh, now um, it's very readable. Actually, it's a very compelling, exciting read. Um, Thank you, Paul. So I do recommend that. So. And keep watching Blogging Theology. I'm going to sway <laughs> Paul to start doing some outtakes because he's much funnier than you think. Mm, not sure I like the sound of that, <laughs> but we'll. So, anyway, it's delightful to talk to you, Lauren. But thank you so much. Salam alaikum. Thank you for coming on. Until next time. Thank you. Take care. Spring is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24.